History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in Central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spooktacular people. Welcome to this 367th episode of the History Ghost Bump podcast, Ghost Tours for the Theater of the Mind. I'm your host, Diane. And this is Kelly. Kelly, on this episode, we have another one of not only our favorite themes, but the listeners' favorite themes, Haunted Cemeteries number 17. Awesome for all the taffophiles out there. Wow, we've done 17 of these, and I just keep finding more and more haunted cemeteries as I go along. Which always makes me happy. Indeed. And it's so funny because we'd always said, oh, they're not that haunted. Who wants to hang out with dead bodies? But apparently a lot of people want to hang out with their dead bodies. (laughs) This is what we're finding. We have cemeteries from Arkansas, Mississippi, Montana, Indiana, and Colorado on this episode to share with you. Kelly, when you go into a cemetery, what's one of your favorite things to see in a cemetery? I think we're both like-minded when it comes to this. It's definitely the mausoleums. Absolutely. (laughs) I love the statuary and... The trees and nature, especially when they make them arboretums and stuff like that. But when it comes right down to it, when I see a mausoleum, I just lose my mind. And I think it's because they are rather rare in a cemetery. And so many times they're just very unique in the way that they're crafted. They are, especially if you've just got a single family that has made something that they want to have it either reflect maybe their home kind of looks the same or they want to have some kind of big grandeur thing. But we've also been to places like Hollywood Forever that has these huge mausoleums with hallways and rows and rows of burials and beautiful stained glass work. Indeed. That's why mausoleums are the top tier when it comes to becoming an executive producer of this podcast, because it is our favorite thing. They are that unique. And our executive producers at that level are very unique. And we are adding a new one this episode, which just happens to be a little bit of synchronicity, don't you think? Absolutely. It's awesome. So we'll be uh, moving Andrea to a mausoleum. She's already been in the cemetery. She's just been working her way up. So, <laughs> so Mort, get ready. Oh, man, those things are so hard to build, but they are my favorite, too. <laughs> Before we get into all of that, we want to welcome into the Spooktacular crew, Gabrielle, Annie, who spells her name with two E's at the end and no I. Very interesting. Lynn, Krista with a K. Ashley and Lily. Welcome to the crew, everyone. And now, this moment, Noddity. The moment in Oddity was suggested by Rick Kennett. The first garden cemetery in Australia is Burundara General Cemetery, which is located in Kew, Victoria. The Springthorpe Memorial is located here, and it not only is one of the most gorgeous memorials in the world, it is a bit weird. The memorial is named for Dr. John Springthorpe, who was an Australian physician. He had it constructed for his wife, Annie. The memorial was clearly inspired by Greek temples and was designed by Harold de Brau-Anir, with a massive stained glass domed roof made from hundreds of ruby-colored glass pieces that give the entire memorial a reddish glow. 
a marble sculpture is the centerpiece, which was sculpted by Bertram McKennell. This sculpture features Annie lying down on a sarcophagus, while an angel that is standing beside her places a wreath by her head. Another female figure sits next to the sarcophagus, holding a lyre and looking very sad. Serpent-headed gargoyles sit atop each corner of the memorial, and the base is paved with red tiles that have verses on them in gold lettering. What is particularly bizarre when one observes all the details that make up the memorial is that Annie's name appears nowhere on it. The only indication as to who this memorial is dedicated to is an inscription that reads, My own true love, pattern daughter, perfect mother, and ideal wife, born on the 26th day of January, 1867, married on the 26th day of January, 1887, buried on the 26th day of January, 1897. Not only is it unusual to have no name on this memorial, but the fact that all the dates are the same day with different years all ending in seven certainly is odd. Get out. And now, this month in history. In the month of January, on the 13th and 1128, Pope Honorius II officially recognizes the Knights Templar. The Knights Templar was a military order, and the Pope sanctioned it as an army of God. The Templars were founded in 1118 by Frenchman Hugh de Paines. They made it their purpose to protect the path Christians would follow as they made their way to the Holy Land. They had a rigid set of rules that members had to follow, and that first group only numbered nine during the Crusades. It is believed that they started collecting relics and riches and were hiding them in various places. Through the years, the Templars grew very wealthy and very powerful, and this started to threaten the Catholic Church and the Pope. This led Pope Clement V and King Philip IV to join forces to take down the order in 1307. They arrested the leader at the time, Jacques de Molay, and other Templars, and tortured them until they confessed that they practiced heresy and Satanism. This day of arrest happened on October 13, 1307, which was a Friday. So, Friday the 13th. And that is why Friday the 13th has been considered an unlucky day. Molay and most of the other Templars were burned at the stake, and the Pope dissolved the Templars in 1312. To this day, many people believe that there are many myths and legends connected to the Templars, whether it's the Curse of Oak Island, the Da Vinci Code, or various conspiracy theories. Many of these legends claim the group had the Ark of the Covenant, parts of the Cross, and the Holy Grail, and that surviving Templars moved these objects to hidden locations that people still seek today. Every cemetery is unique. Each has its own unique character based on location. Sometimes it is the landscape that's different. Other times it's the local culture or customs. But truthfully, it is the personalities buried within that define the true character. We have featured over 70 haunted cemeteries around the world in the past six years. After compiling a list, we realized that there were several states, 13 to be exact, that have not yet been included. And on this episode, we will rectify that by including several of those. On this episode, we have China Grove Cemetery in Arkansas, Friendship Cemetery in Mississippi, Mount Moriah Cemetery in Montana, Little Egypt Cemetery in Indiana, and Cheeseman Park in Colorado.
Our first cemetery is China Grove Cemetery. Makes me want to start singing a song about China Grove. (laughs) (laughs) You do you, babe. (laughs) People don't want me to do that, for sure. China Grove Cemetery is found in Saline County, Arkansas. The earliest burial we found was in 1883. So this is an old cemetery. Burial stopped in the 1970s. This cemetery is fairly neglected, sitting along a narrow abandoned road. The headstones are scattered haphazardly through the woods. That's about all we could find on the history of this cemetery. While trying to find out more about the history of the cemetery, we ran across a horrible true crime story. This was an appeal to the Supreme Court of Arkansas on a death penalty case. So I'd been looking for China Grove Cemetery, something about the history, and all of a sudden this thing popped up. And I'm like, oh, I wonder what this is. And then I'm like, oh, I'm looking at a court document. Holy cow. Daryl Wayne Sheridan had been found guilty and sentenced to die in the murder of Lorianne Brown. The two had once lived together, but Daryl was married to another woman at this time, and Lorianne was in another relationship and pregnant with that man's baby. Lorianne had found out that Daryl and his wife were dealing drugs, and she reported this to the police. Daryl went to her house to scare her and somehow managed to convince her and her boyfriend to get in his car. Daryl told his wife to drive into China Grove Cemetery. He told Lori Ann to get out of the car, and then the car drove away with Daryl's wife, Lori Ann's boyfriend, and another man inside. Daryl attacked Lori Ann and stabbed her multiple times, killing her. Her body was found on the road to the cemetery. How horrible. Yeah, so keep in mind, we've had this happen here. I don't know if it's led to some of the hauntings we have going on here, but it can't be good. Stories of hauntings at the cemetery have endured through the years. Legends begin at the front gate. This is an old gate at the end of the abandoned road. When cars approach at night with their headlights on, those headlights will start to flicker. The car radio sometimes flips to just airing static or turns off altogether. Also at the gate, people claim to see a white dog with icy blue eyes. Sometimes it is solid, but usually when the lights hit it, the dog is translucent. I thought this was really unique because generally if you see some kind of a ghost dog, it's always like the black shuck, a big black dog with red eyes. So now you've got a white dog with blue eyes, the total opposite. Sounds pretty, actually. It does sound pretty. (laughs) I don't know that I'd be that terrified of it. I'd probably try to pet it. I'm sure you would, (laughs) and then it would give you a ghostly bite. Inside the cemetery, an apparition of a woman has been seen carrying a baby and wailing. Sometimes she tries to hand the baby to visitors, and if they take the bundle, they find out that it's a headstone that will weigh them down and make it so they can't get up off the ground. Another legend is about the headstones. Apparently, they glow sometimes, and the glowing will follow visitors as they move through the cemetery. This seems to be a common haunting that we've heard of in several cemeteries, where the headstones start glowing. And I really would love to see this because I want to know, is it that they are actually radiating some kind of color? Is it a different color? Or is it just a reflection from the moon, from a car headlight, something like that? And people are freaking out at first thinking that it's the headstones glowing. Yeah, I don't know. It's very interesting. And I find it interesting that the spirit is carrying around a headstone. I'd also love to know, you know, because I always have this inquiring mind. I must know, is the baby's name on that headstone? Well, that's what I figured it would be. But who knows? That's making an assumption. Moving right along, we are arriving at Friendship Cemetery. This is located in Columbus, Mississippi. Mississippi is a state known for its vast quantity of antebellum homes, which eventually someday I hope to get you up in there and see a bunch of those. So it's not surprising to find a haunted cemetery here that is connected to the Civil War, with a haunting specifically centered on its burials for the Confederate dead. This cemetery was founded in 1849 by the Independent Order of Odd Fellows. Originally, it only covered five acres, but that grew to 35 acres by the 1950s and now spreads out over 70 acres. 
We mentioned unique design in the intro, and this one certainly has that. The original layout incorporated three interlocking circles. The Oddfellow symbol is made up of this same design, so they literally designed the cemetery like their emblem. And for people who have participated in our cemetery bingo, when we've said, you know, look for some chain or something like that, the Oddfellow's emblem is one of the things that counts as that chain because it looks like three links of a chain connected to each other. That's right. The city of Columbus eventually acquired the graveyard and it was listed on the National Register of Historic Places in 1980. Burials still continue at this cemetery. During the Civil War, the capital of Mississippi, Jackson, was invaded and controlled by Union forces, so Columbus became the temporary capital. The Confederate Army of Mississippi fought heavily in the Battle of Shiloh, and many of their dead were brought back here to be buried. Columbus itself served as a military hospital center. Both Confederate and Union dead are buried here. There are between 40 to 150 Union soldiers and more than 2,000 Confederate soldiers. The poem The Blue and the Gray by Francis Miles Finch was inspired by an event that took place here at Friendship Cemetery. A large group of women laid flowers on the graves of both Union and Confederate soldiers on April 25, 1866. And this moved him because the dead were treated with equal care. This poem was first published in an 1867 edition of the Atlantic Monthly. Eventually, the decorating of military graves on grave decorating days became Memorial Day. I love it when this happens, Kelly. I was just like, okay, we haven't done a haunted cemetery in Mississippi. Let me see if I can find one. So I found this one. And as I'm looking through the history, I'm like, holy cow, basically Memorial Day and the laying of things on military graves comes from this cemetery, which I had not heard of before. Yeah, it's so cool. Yeah. So I just love it when these little nuggets pop up when I'm just not even meaning to find something like that. There are a couple of stories told about haunting legends in this cemetery. The first is about a Confederate soldier. His apparition has been spotted wandering around the graves in the Confederate burial area. There's someone who actually might have captured this spirit in a photo. Matt Garner is a page designer for the Dispatch newspaper. He visits the Friendship Cemetery a lot to take photos. One morning he was in there alone and decided to catch the sunlight as it came through the trees. The headstones were making cool shadows. He used a tripod to hold the camera and fired off 10 pictures in quick succession. When he developed the pictures later, he saw something that chilled him to his core. In the middle of one of the pictures was a fairly clear face. The image is slightly translucent and white with dark, hollow eyes. And it really does look like a face. I'll try to get a picture of that up on Instagram for everybody. Matt is a skeptic, as are we. So perhaps it is pareidolia with the sunlight, shading, and shape of the trees causing it. But it only appears in this one photo. And it's creepy, nonetheless. Garner claimed that on another visit to the cemetery, he heard something that sounded similar to the sound of a door shutting that came from the nearby forest. The sound unnerved him. So he described it as sounding like that, but it clearly was not that, or he probably would have just been like, well, somebody's closing a car door somewhere nearby. Right. And I'm assuming since it unnerved him so much that cars wouldn't really be anywhere in that vicinity. Yeah, I'm guessing it was thick forest and he was completely alone. Reverend Thomas Teasdale was born in New Jersey in 1808. He entered the ministry in 1828 and eventually ended up preaching at a church in Columbus, Mississippi. During the Civil War, he left his home church to preach to Confederate soldiers until the end of the war. After the war, he moved to Tennessee and preached there. He died in 1891 at the age of 82 and was buried here in the cemetery. His memorial is very moving with the statue of an angel lying over the headstone, weeping. People who visit the memorial claim that when they touch the angel's hands, they feel lifelike. Ooh. Next up, we have Mount Moriah Cemetery. This is in Butte, Montana, 
and it has a really unusual haunting. This cemetery was founded in 1877 by the Silver Bow County Masons. The first interment was for a woman named Betty Fant Boyce, who passed away on September 29, 1877. The cemetery is 58 acres in size and has over 14,000 burials. U.S. Congressman Albert James Campbell and Lee Theophilus Mantle, who was also the mayor of Butte, are among those burials, and one of the cooler memorials is for J. Frank Beck that includes a sculpture of his faithful dog. A not-so-fun fact, Mantle was a bachelor until the age of 70 when he married a 25-year-old woman who he had known since she was a child. Uh, you know, it's just That's one of those creepy historical all. stories. Not, it's like, uh, not judging, but I'm judging. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> they were married for 13 years and had a son before he died. That's, maybe it was true love and he just waited and waited and waited. And that waited. is a May, December. I'm telling you. That is a January, December. <laughs> yeah, that's like marrying your granddaughter. Stories of the hauntings here started in the 1970s. The first witnesses were two police officers. They were patrolling the cemetery grounds one evening when they saw a person in a wheelchair approaching the gates. They watched as the wheelchair continued all the way through the locked gate. The two men thought that perhaps the wheelchair had fallen into a hole or something and that it had caused this optical illusion, particularly because they no longer saw the wheelchair. When they got over to the gate, the wheelchair and person had definitely disappeared. Not only that, but there was snow on the ground and there were no tracks anywhere. They reported their story. From that time until now, many people have come forward claiming to see the same thing. A person is wheeling themselves towards the gate and then disappears. This happens at all hours, day or night. No one knows where the spirit could be coming from. Did someone have an accident outside the cemetery? Are they visiting someone at the cemetery? Is their body buried in the cemetery? All good questions. Next, we have Little Egypt Cemetery. It's more formally known as Ewald Cemetery, and it's located on Fifth Road in Bremen, Indiana. The cemetery takes its name from the Ewald family, so we're assuming this may have started as a family plot, but others were buried here before any Ewald, so we're not really sure. Jacob and Barbara Ewald had 12 children, and three of them would die before adulthood. We're not sure of their exact birth dates, but Matilda was a newborn when she passed in 1865. Her brother Henry died in 1870, and Catherine died in 1873. So basically, in less than 10 years, they'd lost three children. Both of those last children, Henry and Catherine, were four years old when they passed. Those three Ewalds are definitely here. I don't know if any of the others are buried there as well. According to Ashley Hood, who wrote Haunted Cemeteries in Indiana, and thank you, Scott Booker, for sending us that book. We appreciate it. Absolutely. The first burial was for an eight-year-old boy named Alfred Knobloch, who died in 1852. His sister Elnora followed shortly thereafter. The cemetery is watched over by the German township trustee, and there are many German immigrants buried here. Part of the issue with getting an accurate historical picture of this cemetery is that it's been ravaged through the years by vandals. It got so bad that a fence was erected and topped with barbed wire. Kelly, I've never seen a cemetery that had to do that. Wow. Based on the headstones that do still exist, it appears that burials stopped here in the late 1930s. As to why this plot of land has been dubbed Little Egypt, we do not know. I looked and I looked and most of the blogs that I found that talked about this said the same thing. Nobody has any idea why this was called Little Egypt. And as you heard, there's a German township trustee that watches over it. So when you're outside of it, if you want to try to get in, you have to contact them to get in because it's locked up. And then there's a bunch of German immigrants inside. So 
It's not like we have a bunch of Egyptians or something that were buried here. When I looked at pictures, and I mean, it is in bad shape. It's not like they have a bunch of Egyptian iconography throughout it or anything. So I have no idea why they would call this Little Egypt. Huh. Well, if anyone knows, please reach out to us. We would love to know. There's got to be a story there. Legends abound about this little graveyard. Part of that may come from the fact that the little dirt road that winds around the cemetery eventually ends up at a bridge nicknamed the Troll Bridge. Hoosier Reborn writes a blog called Hoosier Happenings, and he shared this in 2008. As a teenager, some friends and I had to put this legend to the test. It was a warm Halloween night back in 1986. I remember a moist wind blowing around a few leaves left on the trees that were at the corner of the cemetery. Legend has it that as you enter the swampy woods through which the gravel lane passes on your way to Little Egypt, the knoll you can see in the distance, a young man as white as a ghost will dart out in front of your car. With no time to stop, you hit the apparition, only to learn that nothing is there. Terrified, you continue down the gravel road, now coming out of the woods, moonlight beaming down on the slight rise in front of you that leads you to the knoll on which Little Egypt was established. The crunch of the gravel beneath the tires makes your heart beat a little faster as you begin to wind around the cemetery, nearly at a dead stop in the turns. Suddenly, figures appear to be climbing and hanging from the old trees in the corner of the cemetery. You speed up, leaving a trail of dust as you look out the rearview mirror at tombstones reflecting the moonlight. Then you enter another woods. This time, the apparition appears again, standing along the road, staring at you and covered with blood. You emerge from the woods again and come to a stop on a small bridge over a winding creek. Legend has it, if you turn off your car and whisper, (laughs) Hamburger, hamburger, hamburger. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Makes me hungry. That's what we're having for dinner tonight. The car will fail to start again. Just as you move beyond the bridge, suddenly lights appear to mysteriously turn on in the old brick church ahead of you. And then just as suddenly, go out. Unfortunately, none of this happened to us in 1986. But did they whisper hamburger, hamburger, hamburger? I bet they didn't. That's why it didn't happen. (laughs) This is indeed a hot spot for teenagers to visit. Rumors of satanic rituals abound. There are claims that a farmer who owned land near the cemetery is buried here. His death was due to an accident, and it's said that he is angry about this. His apparition rises from the center of the graveyard and glows as it runs to chase off visitors. There is also a story that a young child once choked to death on a coin, and that if one places a coin on its tombstone, they will hear the crying of a baby. Some people say that no coin is needed and that the disembodied howls of a baby can be heard regularly at the cemetery. They usually seem to be emanating from the ground. Visitors may even find small handprints in the dust on their car windows. A male voice has also reportedly been heard. And what is a cemetery without a hitchhiking ghost? Many people cruising around the cemetery have been shocked to catch the image of a young man in their headlights. His skin is so white it's almost translucent and he usually takes off at a full run in front of the car as though he's being chased. When people stop after almost hitting him, they find that he's nowhere to be seen and there's no evidence of him like footprints. Even more disturbing are reports of a phantom car. This is described as a large older model sedan that is black. It usually appears in the rearview mirror as a car drives past the cemetery heading to the bridge. The sedan picks up speed as if trying to ram the car and then disappears once the car drives across the bridge. We've heard legends like this many times, but Hoosier Reborn also shared on his blog, We did make a return trip a few years later, only to find ourselves being chased away by a pair of headlights. Talk about heart thumping. So perhaps they saw the phantom car. Maybe.
Next up, we have one of my favorite locations in Colorado, Cheeseman Park. One that you'll eventually take me to. Yes, hopefully (laughs) one day. Cheeseman Park is found in Denver, Colorado, between Downing and York Streets, and I affectionately refer to this park as the Gay Park. And it's it's not meant to be derogatory. It actually is what we would consider to be the gay park. This is where gay people like to hang out. It's where gay men have gone to cruise for other men for years. The AIDS walk launches from here every year and then ends there as well. And our uh, Taekwondo school used to always participate in the AIDS walk. So we'd always have our little table there. It's just a gorgeous park. You guys might be wondering why I'm talking about Cheeseman Park when we're supposed to be talking about haunted cemeteries. That had crossed my mind. (laughs) Inquiring minds want to know. I mean, we know we love garden cemeteries, right? Of course. So we might think of them as parks. And we all know that Victorian cemeteries were established as these garden cemeteries and people did treat them like parks. They'd go there and have their picnics and things like that. Well, Cheeseman Park literally is just a park, but it wasn't always just a park on the outskirts of downtown Denver. This was once a cemetery, and perhaps some of you have heard the horrific stories behind it that have led to this being considered one of the more haunted locations in Denver. Many people who visit the park probably have no idea that they are visiting a graveyard when they lay out a towel to sun themselves or spread a blanket for a picnic. Perhaps they twist an ankle running after a frisbee when they step into an odd depression. If one could have the perspective of a cloud when looking down at this park, they would see that it is dotted with these depressions. You see, there were once thousands of bodies buried here. And when these bodies were removed to make way for the park, well, not everybody made it out of the ground. Oops. And so Cheeseman Park is still very much a graveyard. Despite the beautiful Greek pavilion and tranquil fountains, this is a place of death not only because it's a former cemetery, but many people have chosen this peaceful location to end their lives. Cheeseman Park is part of a neighborhood that carries its name. This neighborhood includes the Denver Botanic Gardens, which are also haunted, Kelly. The home that inspired the movie The Changeling, starring George C. Scott. Did you ever see that movie? I certainly did. The story and house that that is based on used to be located right here along Cheeseman Park. I had no idea. And perhaps that's why it had some ghost stories connected to it. The Denver Botanic Gardens was once the site of the Catholic Cemetery. And since Protestants could not be buried there, the Protestant Cemetery was where Cheeseman Park is now located. They were basically next to each other then. Clearly, both were decommissioned and the bodies removed since they are no longer cemeteries here. Well, most of the bodies. Cheeseman Park started out as Mount Prospect in 1858, but most people just called it Denver's Boot Hill. General William Larimer had platted out the grounds. Mount Prospect covered 320 acres, so it was a large location. Wow. Congress decreed in 1872 that the site of Mount Prospect was actually federal land, and so the city of Denver bought it with the plan of keeping it a cemetery, and the name changed to Denver City Cemetery. Some acreage was sold off to become a Jewish cemetery. Two of the early burials were Hungarian immigrant John Stoffel and his brother-in-law. Both men were prospectors, and Stoffel ended up shooting his brother-in-law in order to take his gold dust in 1859. A people's court was formed and Stoffel was found guilty of murder. It was decided he should be hanged and this took place on April 9, 1859 with 1,000 people watching. This took place at a cottonwood tree at the intersection of 10th and Cherry Creek streets. 
Both Stoffel and his brother-in-law were dumped into the same grave at the edge of the cemetery. Can you imagine burying them together? No, I cannot. Kind of a slap <laughs> in the face. Here, you get to go with your victim in the same grave. Or your murderer. Yeah. Can you imagine being a victim and you're buried with the person who murdered you? Right. And then I have to wonder, is that cottonwood tree still there at 10th and Cherry Creek Streets near a house, maybe? That would be cool to see. You'll have to find that out. The cemetery became home to many corpses of criminals in the poor, with one of the first criminals being Jack O'Neill, who was killed in a saloon. The powerful and rich in Denver were not happy with him being buried at the cemetery, and soon people were referring to it as Jack O'Neill's Ranch. So he was rather well known, but he was such a scoundrel that they were like, we're just going to call the place after him. Usage dropped off by the mid-1880s, probably because a lot of these never-do-wells were getting popped in there. So the more elite of the city were like, I don't want to be buried with them. Sure, I would imagine that was the case. Yeah. I didn't want to be buried with that riffraff. <laughs> the grounds were unkempt and cattle were allowed to roam freely through the tombstones. And something that people may not know, Denver can get very dry. And my mom wrote a book about Riverside Cemetery, which is going to come up here because these people are going to get moved there. There's always been all these fights about water rights when it comes to Colorado. I'm sure other states have had this issue. So a lot of cemeteries would not get water because they were fighting over all of these water rights and what gets water, where does it get to go? Well, I was just having visions of cows grazing around the tombstones and yeah. leaving pies, perhaps. <laughs> I, I was just, I, I mean, that's where my head goes because I've been hiking in areas where there's free range cattle. I just can't imagine having them wandering around tombstones. A bunch of cow pies everywhere. I would be an angry spirit. Ah. Yuck. This led the city to thinking that this area would serve better as a park since it was near the heart of downtown. They petitioned Congress for several years to change the status since this was federal land. Congress finally agreed on January 25th, 1890. The cemetery then became Congress Park. Isn't that nice? They named it for Congress since they said, okay. That's why Congress should be haunted for turning the cemetery into a park. <laughs> now they just needed to move the bodies. The Chinese section of the cemetery was emptied by the Chinese community, and they sent the bodies back to China, as we found with a lot of different places. Whenever they would do this, they'd send the bodies back to China. I always wonder, why didn't they do that to begin with? Families were told that they had a certain amount of time to move the bodies of their loved ones, and many of these bodies were moved to Riverside and Fairmont cemeteries. As I just mentioned, my mom is very familiar with Riverside Cemetery and wrote the book on it, and Fairmont I'm very familiar with. We used to visit that when I was a kid, and also I'd been there on field trips with school and everything. I think that's so cool that your school actually did field trips to the local cemetery. I mean, obviously, there's probably historical figures buried there and mm -hmm. things of that nature, mm -hmm. but still, that is not anything that they did for us in California. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to remember. I know I went twice. Once was definitely with an art class, so we were there like drawing different things and stuff like that. And then I know the other one, I think, was like a sociology class or something. Maybe we were talking about death. I, I don't quite recall what, but I just remember being like, this is the coolest cemetery. And I was like, I want to be buried here until I moved to Florida. And now I want to be buried <laughs> in Florida somewhere. There were still many bodies left in the cemetery after this process. So the city decided they needed to hire someone to remove what was left. That man would be Irish undertaker Edward P. McGovern. He was told he would be paid the equivalent today of $53 per coffin moved to Riverside Cemetery. E.P. McGovern was an enterprising individual, and he reasoned that if he used smaller coffins, like child size, 
and broke up skeletons, he could fill more boxes and get paid more. Yeah, there was no specific in any of the contracts that it had to be one body per box and you just had to get that whole body in the box. Oh, good grief. This went on for a while until the city figured out what he was doing and he was fired. Shocker. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Not only had he desecrated bodies by breaking them up, but he actually filled some boxes with wood. So it's like, oh, we don't have enough bones to fill that one up or make it feel a little bit heavier. Throw some wood in there. When you talk about being a good human, it's not this guy. No, what's really sad (laughs) is he's an undertaker. So this is what he does. Right. So then you have to wonder about any of the work that he used to do before this. Very unscrupulous. The city decided to just leave the rest of the bodies, backfill more dirt, and start work on forming the park. So I guess you're kind of SOL if he didn't get around to breaking you up yet. I know. It just, it makes you wonder in that meeting, you know, who started the discussion? We've already wasted a ton of money on this guy. And now we've buried a bunch of boxes in these other cemeteries that we're not even sure who's in them. So Lord only knows on the headstones, like, is that really the person that's beneath there? Sure. They're like, nah, let's just save some money. Start building the park. Yeah. So I think they were just like, we've kind of run through our funds. Uh, What are we going to do? Well, you know, if we take the headstones out and just put in a bunch of dirt, nobody will notice until, you know, we start digging for things later on and all of a sudden bones start popping up everywhere. Yeah, great. So most people would not know the bodies were there until years later when some would surface or get dug up on more than one occasion. Yeah, and I I actually remember these reports coming through. Well, there are estimates that 3,000 bodies are still left there. Yep, that is a lot of bodies. And I encourage you guys, I'll see if I can find some pictures to put up on Instagram. But uh, if I don't get those up, Google Cheeseman Park overhead photos or something, and you will literally see what look like depressions that would be the size of a coffin in the grounds there. It's just like they thought nobody would notice, I guess. That's terrible. Yeah. The Catholic Cemetery remained where it was until 1950, when the city of Denver persuaded the Catholic Archdiocese of Denver to deed their cemetery to the city. This would become the Denver Botanic Gardens in 1966. Cheeseman Park would be named for Walter Cheeseman, but not because the city wanted to honor him. So, of course, it was Congress Park, and then the name got changed to Cheeseman Park because his widow and daughter donated $100,000 for the building of the pavilion in the park in exchange for the park being named for Walter. Some people in Denver grumbled about this because Cheeseman was not a nice guy. He originally came to town to help his brothers with their drugstore, but he soon found a different route for making money. And remember what I said about water and water wars and issues and like that? Well, he noticed that the waters of Cherry Creek and the Platte River were undrinkable because of contamination. So he founded the Denver Union Water Company, and charged exorbitant prices for water and gave terrible service to his customers. So clearly Denver citizens would not want to name a park for this guy. But maybe it's fitting since this park is notoriously haunted. For myself, I've never felt any dread or bad feelings when I was in the park day or night. And I never saw anything weird, but plenty of people claim to have seen strange things and to have had bad feelings. The first experiences started when the bodies were being removed. A gravedigger named Jim Astor had been looting the graves and he claimed that he felt something unseen pushed down on his shoulders. He ran from the cemetery and did not return. Nearly every home that borders the park claims to have had unexplained activity and many have seen apparitions in their homes. They describe these spirits as sad and confused looking. People are seen in the park wearing period clothing, 
which indicates to observers that they are not living. Unfortunately, several people have hanged themselves in the trees of the park, and this is one of the horrifying images that people have seen, those bodies hanging in the trees. Ghostly headstones are sometimes seen just as dusk sets in over the park. Disembodied whispers and moans are heard. Shadowy mists are also a regular occurrence. One woman saw another woman sitting in the park singing who just disappeared. Children have been seen playing in the park at night, and then they disappear as well. Cemeteries are some of our favorite places to visit when exploring a new city. Spotting a cemetery from the road is like discovering a treasure. We know that so well. (laughs) I know. We both will be like, wait, wait, there's a cemetery. There's a cemetery. (laughs) And cemeteries are like a treasure chest full of mystery and history and all kinds of goodness. Some of these cemeteries are full of spirits, too. Are these cemeteries haunted? That That is for you to decide. Well, Kelly, I still have a bunch on my list, so we have some more cemeteries coming to everyone, and we'll get some more of those states that we have not quite covered, a haunted cemetery yet. I think I found at least one in every state, so. Excellent. We want to encourage you guys to check out our website at historygoesbump.com, and if you want to send us some feedback, you can do that at historygoesbump at gmail.com. We want to thank Ashley for her comment on the website. She is here in Florida. So that's very cool. I told her she'll have to join us on some of our adventures here in Central Florida sometime. Most definitely. Kelly, we finally heard back from Veronica about our youngest fan. She says, I apologize that I'm getting to this email so late in the year. You gave me a shout out about two months ago on the Ghosts of Whitechapel episode. And we'd asked about her letting us know her daughter's name so we could give her a shout out. So she let us know that her name is Virginia, but she goes by Gigi. So we just wanted to say hi, Gigi. Hi, Gigi. So glad that you're enjoying the show. Hi, Gigi. Tasha on Instagram had shared a picture with me. I put it up on our Instagram account to see what people thought about it. Here's what she wrote. Diane and Kelly, my mom works in a nursing home. The fire alarm went off one day for no reason. The maintenance guy checked the cameras and caught this. He sent my mom a picture because he knows she's sensitive and is into that. Mom said it was someone sitting in a wheelchair, but there wasn't anyone there at the time. And some of the comments when I put this up to just see what other people thought they saw, because Kelly, I poo-poo a lot of pictures, but this one I was like, whoa, that's weird. It's a dark hallway. It's a dark corner. I don't know why anyone would put somebody in that corner in a wheelchair. It would just be like neglect to me if it was a real person in a wheelchair. Definitely. And it just looks really weird. Uh, Water of Whimsy said, to me, it looks like something with horns or a black dog. And also, I just want to say, I got you a couple of gifts from her Etsy shop. You did, and I love them, and I'm going to get them framed. (laughs) (laughs) Well, actually, the one already came in a frame. The owl did. Yes, the owl drawing did come in a frame, and I love it. Bee Peaches 2001 said, I couldn't see it, then swiped to the second picture, which I had zeroed in on a little bit more and then said and freaked the f out goosebumps and all oh heck no lunar images photography said i would love to see other still pictures from the same location for comparison k malo said i see legs dixie baby nope don't like that Uh, michelle said that's creepy coilette my first thought was a creature of some sort either way so creepy beth vanderyat said someone pushing someone in a wheelchair away from the camera that's kind of what i saw like somebody was moving away from the camera, pushing. I kind of it. thought maybe it looked a little bit that way, too. 
Scott Booker said, I'm with those saying creature like a dog or wolf. And uh, Maximus Primart just said, that's super creepy. So we'd love to have you guys check out our Instagram and see what you think you see and let us know. Definitely. It was definitely a very weird picture. Callie and the crew wrote, thank you for welcoming me into the crew. My husband and I stumbled upon HGB when we were looking for a haunted story podcast to listen to back in October. I've greatly enjoyed not only listening, but learning about different locations. We live in a home that was built in the 1850s by our town's founder for his daughter. My parents live next to us in a house that our founding father's daughter built for her daughter. Talk about history in the family. That is amazing. Since I've lived in an old historic house my whole life, I've seen and heard things that I can't explain, which has fueled my love and curiosity of the paranormal. My husband and I have both seen shadows, apparitions out of the corner of our eyes, smelled different scents, apple pie, cologne, tobacco. Ooh, I'd love to smell the apple pie scent all the time. (laughs) And we've also heard noises. Just the other night, about eight o'clock at night, our dog kept running to our back window and barking like someone was outside. After the second time of her doing this, my husband looked out the window to see who was there. As he turned back to say he didn't see anything, out of the corner of his eye, he saw a large outline of a person. He turned to see them better, only to watch them walk behind our garage where our miniature donkey pasture starts. Oh, they have mini donkeys. (laughs) (laughs) Alarm, I called to my mom to see if my dad or brother were walking around outside. They were in the house with my mom. Even more alarming, both my husband and I put on our winter coats and boots flew out the back door where we met my dad and brother coming across their backyard. All four of us looked for evidence of someone standing in the spot that my husband saw, but there were absolutely no footprints in the snow leading to that spot. Dang. There was nothing in the spot or going behind the garage where he thought he'd seen it walking. Slightly already creeped out, we came inside to find our grandfather clock wide open. The door's heavy and cannot be bumped open by us, the dogs, or cats. The neighbor that lived here before us used to repair clocks as a hobby, and our clock is currently broken. It didn't chime when we first bought it, but now sporadically does. Is our house haunted? That is for you to decide. (laughs) I was just about ready to say it with you. I saw it coming. (laughs) They haven't been listening long, but they know the way to do it. And then, of course, our buddy Karen had written this in the crew. So I have to go to bed sometime tonight, or maybe I should say this morning. So any good vibes you can send my way would be appreciated. Hubby works nights, so I'm home alone, and I do not like it at all. Our house is definitely haunted. Not always overly active, but it's there. So every night I say a prayer for safety and for them to just leave me alone. Well, tonight about 11 p.m., I had to go down to the basement to the freezer, and coming back up the stairs, I saw a pair of man's boots under the stairs. Like a man standing there, and all I saw was the boots. The rest was in shadow. I know what pareidolia is. It was not that because, and she writes this in all caps, I saw boots, detailed boots. As far as my mind making things up, it made up the rest of them, the parts I couldn't see, to look a lot like Freddy Krueger. Great. (laughs) But the boots I definitely saw. We don't have any boots down there because it's a damp cellar and you can't keep anything like that down there. I'll make him go down and check with me in the daytime, but I hope I can get some sleep at some point because I have to work in the morning. Yikes. (laughs) She did make some comments the next day. She did go down there and there are no boots down underneath those stairs. Yeah. Well, you know, that that is one of those holy grail kind of situation. So I am going back and forth as to whether I'd be unnerved being there by myself because she's certainly had plenty of experiences there. Mm -hmm. And I don't think any from what I recall from what she's told us in the past, I don't think that anything's been negative. It's just disconcerting to her because she's home alone. Yeah, she shared a couple of 
videos that they've made. They've had cameras and stuff in different parts of the house. And it's a lot of more like kind of poltergeist activity where you see a door moving on well, its and own. Well, then they had the, the tarantula. Well, now I was <laughs> I was basement. just about to say the most unnerving <laughs> thing I've seen on their video is that spider in the basement. So we all joke around in the spectacular crew about their pet tarantula down it's there. It's a cute little spider, as my <sighs> son would say. Yeah, no. They have tarantulas. I, I don't do spiders. And when that thing is as big as that thing is and it comes up and it's all on the camera like, hey there, yeah, Hi. check it's, me out. <laughs> it's not that big. It's it looks the, big on the camera. It's just the angle of the camera. It doesn't matter about angles. It looks big. It's probably smaller than your hand. And Kelly? What? Everybody knows <laughs> me and basement stairs. I don't do them. Thankfully, we do not have a basement because we live in Florida. But I tell people all the time, when I was a kid, I would be like running up those stairs as fast as I could get up and I would not look down. I don't do them because I would just fall down. <laughs> well, what's funny is we had a finished off basement too. So it wasn't like creepy down in our basement really, other than we'd get these big black crickets down there. See, that's your problem. It's the crickets. But I always would run up those stairs because I was just afraid something was going to get me. And yet you listen to crickets every night. I do to go to sleep. With the Google recording. I'm just a crazy person. <laughs> a little bit. Thank you, you guys, for sharing those comments and stuff. Please keep them coming. We love to hear your real experiences that you've been having. And please continue to share your pictures with us. You know, yes. some of them we poo-poo away, but then there's others where I'm very perplexed. What is that? Well, we don't always poo-poo them. We're just, you know, we're the, the skeptics, open-minded skeptics. Yes. And so we try to figure out what else could possibly be going on. Absolutely. We've taken some very weird pictures in our time and most of them never see the light of day because I'm like, yeah, I don't think it's anything. This is true. And it could have been a full-on ghost and we had no idea. We want to thank you guys for tuning in to this episode. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Kelly. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode isn't brought to you by our executive producers. Dispatches from the Grave Digger. We want to thank Andrea Kano for raising your donation. As we said earlier, we're going to be moving you into a mausoleum. Andrea's been giving to the show for quite some time, and now she's going to be joining nine other mausoleums in the cemetery. Thank you to all of you for your generosity. We greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much for supporting the show, you guys. It is so greatly appreciated. Be sociable, drop the chain rattling, neck biting and shape shifting and join us on Facebook and Twitter at History Goes Bump. Like the page and follow us. First Garden Cemetery in Australia is Burundara General Cemetery, which is loaded in. Loaded? It got loaded. <laughs> hey, man. Cemeteries are great places to get loaded, dude. <laughs> hey, hey.
The Templars were founded in 18... The Templars were found... <laughs> What's the matter, honey? Numbers. <laughs> Welcome to the group. Mm. <laughs> the guru. The <laughs> guru. Other times, it's the local culture. Co, 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 co. The first episode. The first episode. The Denver Botanic Gardens was once the site of the Catholic Cemetery. And since Protestants could not be buried there, the Protestant Cemetery was where Jesus. Jesus Park? Jesman Park. <laughs> Jesman? <laughs> the neighbor that lived here before us used to repair clocks as a hobby, and our clock is currently broken. Broken? Broken. Broken. It's broken. <laughs> You've got brookies on the brain. I do. You made some really good brookies. The poem, The Blue and the Gray, by Francis Miles Finch, was inspired by an invent. Invent? Was inspired. <laughs> he died in 19. 19- he? <laughs> he was really old. <laughs> really, really old. Really old. <laughs> Poor guy. The first interment was for a woman named Betty Faint. Betty Faint. That's all, folks. Um, it's a bunch of bees. Betty boys. Boys. The first interment was for a woman named Betty Font. It should be Font or Fant. Fanta. It looks like Fanta without an A. The first burial was for an eight-year-old boy named Afrol. His name was Afrold. Afrold. Isn't that more interesting than Alfred? (laughs) 